Hey, Rose, do you ever call up Royally Obsessed on Alexa? It's one of the easiest ways to listen to the pod. You can hear our latest episode every week there, thanks to Amazon Music, which has a full catalog of podcasts, including Royally Obsessed. All you have to do is say, Alexa, play Royally Obsessed on Amazon Music. Oh, no, mine is listening to me say that right at this moment. <laughs> a royal reminder, new episodes drop every Thursday. Tune in on Amazon Music. Now on to the show. Rise for their majesties of Royally Obsessed, the podcast for all things royals. Three cheers for His Majesty the King. Welcome back to Royally Obsessed. I'm Roberta. And I'm Rachel. A few housekeeping reminders as always. Please follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast. Also, send us a listener email. Info at gallerypodcast.com is the email address. We love hearing from our audience. So please, please, please send in your notes. Rachel, I feel like our total episode is derailed because of this announcement about the Princess of Wales's health, but we have a lot to talk about. I know. Well, I was going to say you're the only person I want to see and be with right now. <laughs> I felt so, I feel really jittery. I was just saying this to you, I think, because it was a busy morning and then everyone got this alert on their phones, um, on their news sources about Kate. So we are definitely going to be discussing this breaking yeah. news about her health and our concerns over that. Also, King Charles is hospital bound. This is for a benign thing. They shared a little bit more info there. We'll talk about that. Rewinding slightly because I apologize to everyone. I was sick last week. We derailed our regular recording, but we're back and ready to go. So we are reflecting this week on the one-year anniversary of Spare, the Danish abdication that really stole our attention. We are very British exclusive here, but not this week. We're going to talk because it does make us think about uh, hereditary monarchies in general and all of that. A couple more things we're going to get into, the Epstein Files, a new podcast from the Queen, and there may or may not be, on a lighter note, an uncovered Hugh Jackman audio bite. He <laughs> is a row-row, Roberta, and I am determined to get this into an episode. Out of left field, Hugh Jackman taking center stage. I will say I'm so happy that you're feeling better after last Thank week. You. I'm glad that we canceled so you could rest up. And you are no. my better half. Like you just held down no. the fort and you just were like, I got you. And I just I it happened Wednesday morning, guys. I'm so sorry. I just got so, so sick, recovered quickly. But I just um, you know, kindergarten germs, they are it's, real. It's that time of year. And amid all this health talk with the Royals this week, I'm just so thankful that you're feeling better and back everyone health is first and foremost. Yes. Yeah. So, all right, we're going to kick off the episode as always with our Royal refreshment. And now it's time for the weekly Royal cocktail. So this week we mixed up something fun, which now I feel a bit, you know, I know. Frazzled all over the place about with the news about Kate, like we shouldn't be cheersing or just like, Oh, but I think that, you know, aside from all of that, we do have a fun little ode to the Danish coronation and Sunday's abdication. So this is a Danish summer cocktail, and it's with aquavit, <gasps> Looks lime, so Avril. Oh, yeah. Put my pretty. garnish on it with Wait, a little what is that cup? Sleep. Oh, isn't it cute? It's a, my hydrangea cup. That is beautiful. My mom Where'd got me these. It's that? just like a very good like party cup to have it has a little hydrangea print uh, on it we need like somewhere where you can drop a link because that is lovely <laughs> it has a little like it has a to describe better we're trying to be better about that um it has a hydrangea illustration on it on the side yeah like a hand-drawn well not hand-drawn they're printed but there's like a set of six they're just plastic like very low-key i have a big ice cube in it but this is 
Yeah, it's Aperol with Aquavit, which is a big Scandinavian liquor. So I didn't have Aquavit, so I just did gin. But if you wanted to be very apropos and do, you know, go all out for the Danes, grab some Aquavit and then a little bit of lime, a little bit of soda and Aperol. And I forget Aperol. It's just so easy and goes with so much and it's so summery. And I feel like we're both of us are so cozy right now because it is freezing oh right gosh. now. I think yes. 15 degrees. In I have perfected my leggings attire and like pull on the, the Sorel boots and good to go. And I feel very cozy at home. Fortunate oh, to work from home right now. I feel like my apartment just like will not heat up to the temperature I want it to be at. So I'm just in the thickest turtleneck of all time. <laughs> yeah. um, but as we sip our Danish summer cocktails to remind us that summer is on the horizon, even though it's a long way Six off. Six months away. Yes. I know. I did want to talk about Sunday's events, the abdication of the queen and King Frederick and Queen Mary on the balcony. What were your thoughts? I just loved the images coming out of their social media accounts this weekend. It made me feel so reflective on what an empowering decision it is to choose the end of your role as queen, as Queen Margarete did. I think that it just puts her in such a different position. And then we get to see the new generation step in, but she's still a resource for them. And of course, there is a bit of controversy over the timing and the decision, but I do feel like as a whole, it's it's really cool and it's such a different way to go about this. Yeah. Lots of speculation though about the reasoning because I know she had back surgery. The queen did last year, but then also there's this talk of, you know, was at the time Crown Prince Frederick having an affair with a Mexican socialite who the unfortunate name of Casanova in all of this <laughs> really, really makes it tough on on them and I, I don't know. It's just so interesting to follow along. Well, and also on the heels of the conclusion of the crown, too. I think we just saw that internal monologue for Queen Elizabeth II thinking about should she abdicate? This was obviously in 2000, early 2000s that, you know, and fictionalized for sure. But I think just, you know, seeing the different path. It's, it's always like sliding doors, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And how scaled back the kind of a session was, not, not really even a coronation, but more so just a balcony appearance, the prime minister passing over the reins. It was really interesting to see the contrast between that and their British counterparts. And I wonder if any of the royals will make a trip over to Denmark anytime soon to kind of know, kick off that rain. So we'll it did really also set up for me. Like I know Queen Mary has been in the ether. We see her dip in and dip out with different engagements with Kate and different things over the last few years. But I feel like she definitely has my head turned. I just feel like I want to know all about her style. And I have only been, as we, as I said, exclusive to the Brits. And now I feel like my royal horizon is widening. I was talking about it all weekend. I was really excited. I followed a lot of their accounts. I was like, who am I right now? I feel like I'm cheating somehow. <laughs> this could be an international royals podcast. I do feel the same though. Like I want to follow all of Queen Mary's new outfits and she's the queen of royal rewear. She wears dresses like eight or nine times. So I just, I loved learning more about her through all of this. And, and she looks so striking in that blue peplum outfit the next day. I just yeah, with loved that. that. It was very loved Queen that. Elizabeth. Yes. And blue. I do. While we're on the subject, before we move on, I just wanted to say, because we we need to properly plug our Crown episode too. We mentioned the part two, and we do have that fantastic recap with Sam Sanders. He joined us. And I wanted to say, because we mentioned in that episode, Roberta, I was cleaning out this weekend, and we talk about Young and Modern with the one where William is placed as a <laughs> drop. I found it in a box. 
Rachel. This is from, let's see, this was published in 1998. And it's, it is the kind of, it's, we talked about it a little bit, how it sets the tone for William and his like heartthrob era. And it's yes. the cover of, of YM, Young and Modern Magazine, where he's got those like smoldering eyes. And I read the article and it is, it's so crazy because- I'm getting, is- I'm getting such huge flashbacks to Tiger Beat and those yes, days. Yes, yes, exactly read. that. And I'm like, I can't believe I found this. It was just tucked in a random box. 17 just, Magazine. You know, Oh, it's all about like how the young hot prince is coping after the loss of Diana. And and I guess what strikes me is just truly how young he looks in the images. Like the cover actually makes him look older um, than the images inside. He really is 13 years old. And to put him in that position. Show me the cover one lens. more time. Show yes, me again. I'm popping just... my lime into my drink as I watch this. Watch you pull up the cover. Here it is. <gasps> Oh and it's like God. and he looks also, so much older than 13. It's wild. Like, look at this one. He's just got like baby cheeks. Like he's so little. <gasps> and, and so he's I like also teen heartthrob. And I think my favorite part, and then we can move on, is that there's a, a sidebar in the magazine. We've print magazines. I freaking love them, of course. Always and forever. Um, it says how to contact him. And it says we get tons of mail from you showing concern for Wills. We're gonna gather it all together and drop it at St. James's Palace for you. This could and- be in the crown auction as a prop that they would have used. <laughs> but this is so – it's wild that you found this. It's so incredible that you keep the archive that you do of paper Oh, I do. My parents are ready to uh, have – they've had many conversations with me about it. But I won't, I won't relent. I won't relent. But the fact that this one was in New York, like all of that is not in New York. So it was random to find it. That is Anyways, incredible. Listen to our crown recap, season six, part two. It's now live in the feed. Yes, and apologies to uh, those listeners who heard it before we put the explicit, necessary, explicit tag on it. We apologize, but it's all set it's now. It's not and that bad, but yes. No, it's Sam's hilarious, so it's yes. worth a listen. All right, should we move on to our listener Yes, email? let's move on. Okay, we have a listener email, a lovely message from Ellie, who counts herself a longtime royal fan, first as a child watching Diana's wedding at three years old, then later after finding our podcast during the pandemic. This is a quote, late to the party for best royal moments, but wanted to send one along from late 2023. A discovery, the royal quarter of the Toronto Fairmont Hotel. I did some digging for reference. This hotel is called the Fairmont Royal York. She writes, my family is American, but my sister, now with dual citizenship, moved to Canada for a job. This means we celebrate Thanksgiving twice. This meant also that Ellie was there for that occasion in October and stayed at this hotel. Her partner stumbled upon a beautiful homage to the Queen and Prince Philip on site. It has photos as well as the signatures of the Queen and Prince Philip during their stay at the Fairmont. Lots of nods to the royals in general when in the Commonwealth. Love your podcast was her note. And she shared these beautiful images that really show this remarkable kind of vignette of, you know, images of the queen, of Philip, and also their frame signatures. Uh, it really wanted made me want to make a trip. I did find out that Queen Elizabeth II stayed at this hotel in particular whenever she went to Toronto and booked the royal suite 20 times between oh, wow. 1951 and 2000. And it was following in the footsteps of her parents who also stayed there in 1939. And she continued to honor that choice that they made. So that was kind of cool. It is really cool. It reminds me of the Drake Hotel in Chicago, which I stayed at two years ago, that has this big homage to um, Diana, Princess Diana and her signature and like all of these things. She always loves staying at the Drake. So this is really interesting. Uh, I love this. And Toronto is on my list for sure. It is on my list, actually. That was a pandemic. 2020, I was planning to go in April and then obviously things changed. But I did want to mention, speaking of the Commonwealth, because we have this news that 
the king and queen, current king and queen, will be traveling to Australia later this year. But the Commonwealth is for sure undergoing changes. You know, the Australia noted that they're postponing their vote to become a re republic, which is very much on the docket amid this news that the king and queen will be traveling there. But it is interesting that it's a conversation all the time. Cue up the Hugh Jackman clip, please. I did discover, because obviously with all these notes, I go down the rabbit hole, and Hugh Jackman talked about how it is inevitable that Australia will ultimately become a republic. But I didn't know that he was a closeted or not even closeted. He is a Roro. An open and, royal. An open Roro. And he shared that in this interview with the BBC. I think Australia will become a republic at you some did. point. It feels natural. It feels like something that uh, is, I would guess, inevitable. And I would guess would be a natural part of evolution of a, of a country. Obviously, I'm a British citizen as I am an Australian citizen. My father made us stop doing whatever we could to watch the, in 1981, to watch the wedding of, of Lady Di and Prince Charles. We had champagne. I've met uh, the Queen several occasions, the Queen Mother and Prince Charles, and I've met them and I, I see and feel a real genuine desire to be of service to the public. And I appreciate that and I admire it. I only wish King Charles uh, all the best. Can I just say, he is a beautiful, beautiful man, and there is nowhere I'd rather be than sipping an Aperol Spritz with you. Was listening you, to him talk, Jackman, right? Talk about I told you that I was kind of like awkwardly going to insert this Hugh Jackman quote into the episode, but I just, I just want to hear him talk. And talking about the Royals, like, bring it on. How did we miss this last year? It was ahead of the coronation. Yeah, it was such a crazy time for us, but... Wow. I mean, Rachel played the clip and we could see him talking. That was that was a lovely break in the episode for me um, yes. as I sip my little cocktail. <laughs> okay. Getting into royal history. One more sip. And now, this week in royal history. This week in royal history. Yeah, we need it for this portion, actually. Um, I'm going to go through this quickly before we talk about the Princess of Wales's big announcement. So flashing back one year to January 10th, 2023, when Prince Harry's memoir, Spare, finally came out. A year ago last week, Rachel, do you remember exactly where you were when, or I guess like right after when it came out? I mean, I just remember running to my local bookstore, Books Are Magic in Brooklyn and getting it right on time. I like, I had ordered it online. I don't think it was there yet. And I was like, I just can't wait. And so I ran and bought, bought it right on the spot. But I liked the running to the bookstore momentum of that. I was... Lucky though, because I think Amazon, I pre-ordered it and they actually got it to me yeah, the day before it. the release date, which was really interesting. A that. lot of people got that early. So, and we booked a last minute trip to Miami with some friends. And so I had it on the plane. I had it. I feel like I was like one of the first people with it and had it on the plane, uh, uh, at the hotel. We stayed at the Plymouth hotel in South beach. I was listening to the audio version, um, and then reading it when I was, you know, kind of couldn't listen and to texting each other nonstop. <laughs> I do remember taking the subway and seeing many people with it up. And that's always kind of when you know it's really in the zeitgeist and everyone's thinking about it, even non-royal watchers that the volume of people reading it was was vast. And now a year later, we can say how big of an impact it had. It shattered all sorts of records. Spare became the fastest selling nonfiction book of all time on the date of its release. It sold 1.4 million in that first day, which is staggering. Yeah. Last week, there was an update that Spare was the best selling book in the UK in 2023. It sold 700,000 copies. It joined Spare made the best selling new book in the US, number one. So it's just 
really kind of mind-blowing. Of course, in the book, it was revealed Harry's point of view on Camilla, the bridesmaid dress fiasco, his mother's death, what it was like growing up royal. There was that altercation between him and William so much that we got background on that he hadn't cried since his mother died. He you know, requested those files, the envelope about Princess Diana's death and the pictures, mm-hmm. just so much that it shed light on. But there was the book release fiasco, and I know we felt echoes of this last year with at the end of the year with Endgame release and Omen Scobie, it does feel like a bit of a foreshadowing of the translation mishaps that that book had. Because remember Spare, it was translated to Spanish and the title was In La Sombra, In the Shadows. It hit shelves in Spain about a week early. And so the tabloids were all over the Daily Mail. I feel like I picture them sending like a fleet of journalists on a plane, a plane or a jet for Spain, and just hiring freelancers to like quickly translate, and yes. just, that was just so wild. Yeah, yeah, and so they really did break a lot of those kind of um, more sensational headlines early, which I think really kind of did a number on the publicity that Harry really wanted. The interviews he gave, I feel like they were they were a little less sensational and more Harry, you know, he said he still loved his family. He still wanted to reconcile. Um, he gave interviews to Anderson Cooper for 60 Minutes, Michael Strahan, ABC, Stephen Colbert, Barony Gordon in The Telegraph. There was a People magazine spread. He talked to Tom Bradby, who's also a good friend of Harry and Williams on ITV. Here's a little clip of that. They're going to be sitting there reeling at this level of personal disclosure, aren't they? And that and that will make some people angry. We have to be honest about that. Yeah, of course. And some people will say, you have railed against invasions of your privacy all your life. But they, the accusation will be, here are you invading the privacy of your most nearest and dearest without permission. That'll be the accusation, right? That'll be the accusation from the people that don't understand or haven't or don't want to believe that my family have been briefing the press solidly for well over a decade. So I'm sorry that me owning my story and being able to tell my own story is upsetting to some people, but I have to rely on the truth. So powerful. It makes me want to rewatch a lot of those interviews that he gave. He I know because we watched it so rushed. I remember under pressure, it was like we were, you know, reporting for, for the episodes. Yeah. Yeah. He did tell Byron Gordon in that Telegraph interview that his first draft for the book was 800 pages, enough for two books. I really wonder if there's ever a chance that he might publish another one. Or, you know, of course, we always speculate that Megan might come out with her own biography, although I feel less and less likely that that's going to happen as time goes on. What do you think? I do feel like, especially in the aftermath of this and the docuseries, I do feel like, and with their WME and all that's coming out, it it feels like hopefully we're entering an era where they're closing the door with this and kind of moving forward with their own projects and stuff like that. I mean, Mm -hmm. as much as it would be, we all would love to see those additional things that ended up on the cutting room floor, I think for the sake of them moving forward, it feels more productive for them to yeah. turn, knew- close, close that book. What's, what are all those uh, expressions, you know, turn that, turn that page, close the book. Up. Yeah. Yeah. It, it does feel like there might be other royally tangential biographies in the works. Yes. Of course. I don't know if you saw this, Rachel, and I totally missed it. This is a post from James Middleton, December 31st, New Year's Eve. He's 
he posted a picture with Inigo and Elise and the dogs. But then the caption, I don't know how I missed this. He's saying he's so grateful for all the support. He says, it's been a reflective year. I've been putting pen to paper, which has been the most wonderful experience. Dot, dot, dot. Maybe a book next year? Question mark. Wow. Oh, my God. James gosh. Middleton biography forthcoming? You heard what? it here first. You heard it here first. Yeah. What? I know. How like, how did, did we, we miss this? that? I guess we were busy with our own lives. For I just was staring at the picture second. of him. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. No, I also wanted to mention too quickly because a lot of the things that Harry brought up have recently been dredged up because of this new biography from Robert Hardman, who's mm. a royal biographer. Yes. It's a biography about the king. It's a tome, just like the tome about the queen that he published. I think a, two years ago, we were doing the podcast at that point. But there was the Lilibet name controversy. Supposedly, like, palace sources have hit back that the queen was happy about them naming their daughter Lilibet. Also, Kate's reasoning for not going to Balmoral. It wasn't that wives were not invited. It was that Kate asked to sit out because of the kids schooling and wanting to be home. So there's a lot of other things in that book, too. I know the sourcing always it just feels so hard to decipher at this point, which is, again, it's a great time to mention that because the value of spare, you know, it is one person's point of view, but it is a first person source. So it's it's so different because, yeah, the, the Lilibet headlines this week have been really hard to read. I just, it also makes the queen look so petty. Like, I just can't imagine. Mm-hmm. And we know that she was so, you know, conscious of Harry's safety. I just, I, I can't really find a lot of merit in that. But who knows? I mean, a lot of people are talking about Robert Hardman's book. And how feelings evolve over time. Like maybe she was happy for them at first and then sort of decided that she wasn't a fan of that. I don't know. You never know. And you never know the sourcing. Like you said, Princess Anne features a lot in the Robert Hardman biography. So we'll have to dig into more. The feather. The feather. Oh, the feather hat. The feather hat that she didn't didn't want it. But actually the way it reads when you read the article is that she brought it up that it might block the view or something Oh, yeah. She was nice about it, right? But I don't even think she was doing it in relation to Harry which is how the headlines painted. It's like she maybe was just conscious that it was tolerant. It would block anyone's view during the ceremony. Like, it's just kind of fascinating. You can't headline with a lot of this stuff. And she gave him a hug when she sat down and the lip readers are like, they had a conversation about it and she's like, I'm sorry. And he was like, it's yeah, fine. I will so, say in yeah. the, in, in the context of spare one last thing is that I do feel like that was the real disappointment was so many people headline. And still to this day, people will say to me like, oh gosh, well, I'm not going to read it because it, he said this about Afghanistan. And I feel like with that particular section, the, the sec, the middle part of the book, that was the most moving for me of the whole thing. And I'm sad for him that people, hopefully people, I think this audience read it, but it's like, you know, just to headline over something like that and ha- deduce it to one single sentence is totally disservice to what he wrote. Yeah. I hope to be on my second reading in a few months because I just, I feel like there was so much in there that I've already forgotten. Yeah. I need to do the audio still. Oh gosh. You should flip because you did the audio and then read some of it, but like, I feel like I need to do, I need to flip it and do the other way. Yeah. Yeah. Honorable mention for this week in Royal History really quickly. January 13th, 2020 was the Sandringham Summit, huge as it relates to Harry and the rest of the royals. Also, Prince Andrew was stripped of his titles in 2022 on that same day, January 13th. January 15th, MLK Day this year was the day that Diana walked through the landmines in 1997. We saw that really portrayed in the crown this season. January 17th today, happy birthday to Mia Tyndall, who turns 10. Same age Okay, getting into the royal news this week's royal oh rundown. <laughs> Kicking it off. I know with this big palace announcement from Kensington Palace that the Princess of Wales underwent major surgery. 
planned, planned surgery, and that she will be recovering in the hospital from anywhere from 10 days to two weeks. She won't be back to royal duties until after Easter this year. That's March 31st, 2024. So it seems like till April. I know we were just talking about how we hadn't seen them in so long, Rachel. And this is, this is like big. This is earth shattering. Not at all what I expected. I think obviously, I think all of us are just really hoping that she's okay and that it's really wonderful that she and Prince William, it sounds like, can just focus on whatever's going on. And I like that they're able to pump the brakes and just clear their calendar. We don't know and we can't really speculate on what's happening, but I just feel deep concern for her health. My mind initially went to, and this is terrible, but for such a long hospital stay, that's really, yeah. really rare. You know, they do even for major, major surgeries, like a C-section, you're out in three days. So like, it just was so interesting to hear that she'd be in the hospital for so long. And I think that's what's giving a lot of people pause. But Emily Nash, a reporter for Hello, and a couple other reporters I've seen now and people in other places have posted that it they've gotten confirmation that it's not anything to do with cancer, which is a huge, huge relief. Cause I think, you know, your mind, of course, when these announcements are made goes to some dark places. So it's just, yeah. thank goodness for that. But I do wonder, I mean, we could speculate all day on what it is yeah. and there's been, you know, audi- our audience members speculating in the comment sections and well, I think it's just, I think what's so rare and what makes us con- absolutely concerned is given how, the palace never releases a statement. Like we know Mm -hmm. when Kate was suffering from severe morning sickness, they had to get ahead of it. You know, Prince William had COVID that time. We only found out way after the fact. So I know that they do it to contain the media on some of these things. It's better to get ahead of it. But I think, and to, you know, that helps diminish the speculation that could Mm -hmm. go down and protect Kate. But I do feel like it's, it's, it has to be something significant. You know, this is a huge absence for them. And yeah, it's scary. I just what do you think about the contradiction that because I think what people are really kind of confused about is how this could be a planned abdominal surgery, but then she has to cancel so many engagements. Like we had the news that they were going to Italy in March. Mm-hmm. That's obviously been postponed. All of the engagements that they've said through Easter are now being canceled and they said they're so sorry and hope to make it up soon. Like if you have a planned scheduled surgery, you know. I mean, you would think probably six months ahead of time at least. So I'm just – I'm really they did curious. announce the Italy tour just before the holidays too. So yeah. this seems to have come up this month. You know I mean, is I that mean? the reason why she didn't travel to Singapore with William? I don't think so because we did also see her at the holiday stuff so much. She had the yeah. Carol concert. She was very out and about. I don't know. It's just interesting because I think that's what people are confused about whether – you know, if this is planned, why – do you have to cancel things? Like when yeah. you just, but I think what, for me, it's like the more people that know something's up, the more the news is going to get out without you getting ahead of it. So like if they told, you know, a children's hospital that's opening in London that the princess of Wales couldn't meet with them until November of next year, they would be kind of confused. So I think mm-hmm. that it's almost like you do potentially mitigate disaster by just going along with the plan like everything's fine until oh, it's of course. not. That's I do, what I was thinking. Yeah, and I I think also just um you know, we know that I guess the likelihood here and some people in our in our um listener base have have brought this to the surface that they'll likely give her more space than she may need around whatever's going on just to, you know, err on the side of caution, but but I agree. I mean, I just I think that's where I feel so jittery is I just 
this was so not anything I expected. And even when you messaged me this morning early that you saw the news, I was thinking, oh, great, like Kate stepped out for something big and this will be fun to talk about in the episode. This was just not at all what I was expecting. And, you know, and the other thing like this is crazy that my mind jumps here and please forgive me, but it's like, you know, the distance obviously between Harry and William at this point, I don't think that this would be something that would open a door, but I do feel like health issues um, do tend if, you know, to bring people together. But I, you know, kind of supersedes all else. But I, I also kind of think that that door has been firmly closed. But well, no, but especially when when the king is also kind of having a little bit of a medical um, stay right now, too. So it was announced right after which the timing is just so strange that right after King Charles announced that he's seeking treatment for an enlarged prostate. I really appreciate that this was kind of a um, done in awareness too. It says the king wanted to share his diagnosis to encourage men who may be experiencing symptoms to get checked. I think that's yeah. really, really smart. It's always a good reminder for those medical things to get, you know, your yearly screenings, your physicals, everything. But the statement said, in common with thousands of men each year, the king has sought treatment for an enlarged prostate. His majesty's condition is benign and he will attend hospital next week for a corrective procedure. But then you have Truly, you have the king who is in the hospital as well as the first in line to the throne's significant other in the hospital. Mm -hmm. It's just such weird timing. I know. I know. I also just like not, you know, I just keep reflecting on the fact that poor Kate in her birthday month, she has just had a rough go of it the past few years. It seems like every January there's something going on that, you know, she just turned 42. So I think just, you know, I guess the bottom line is our thoughts are for sure with her and we are, yeah, wishing her a speedy recovery from whatever's going on. I, and I do think because so many people are so curious about what this is that, the tabloids never rest. Like, I feel like they're going to needle it out somehow, which is all is sad and kind of, you know, depressing, but also it's just, it's very cryptic what's going on. And, or contrary opinion to that or not because of this invisible contract, maybe this is a oh, moment where true. they can exercise that control, you know, who knows? All right. Should we move on to, I feel like this is not meant to be like a doubter of an episode, but we are going to talk briefly about the Epstein files and Prince Andrew because those were dropped this month and last week when I was under the weather, unfortunately, but we wanted to quickly touch on this because this was huge. Andrew's mentioned more than 70 times in this docu drop from Virginia's defamation case against Ghislaine Maxwell. There were one, over a thousand pages that were released this month after a New York judge ordered that they be unsealed. We had talked about this briefly in our last episode about Joanna Soberg's account. That's included. She says that she for sure met Andrew in Virginia at a Manhattan townhouse, shared that puppet tidbit. Ugh. There's also testimony from a former Palm Beach house manager, Juan Alessi, that alleges that Andrew spent weeks at Epstein's Florida mansion, that he also had daily massages. I'm going to, I have no idea what massages entails, but I'm right reading between the lines there, just called massages by Juan. Yeah. Also, that Fergie visited. Epstein's Florida mansion once, but never stayed the night, whereas Andrew stayed there for weeks. Yeah. This also stood out to me. Maxwell claimed under oath that she didn't introduce Andrew to Epstein, which absolutely goes against that BBC Newsnight interview that Andrew did with Emily Matlis, where he affirms that that was exactly how he met Jeffrey Epstein. And we're going to play that clip. As you say, all of this goes back to your friendship with Jeffrey Epstein. Mm. How did you first become friends? How did you meet... Well, I met through his girlfriend, 
um, back in 1999, who, um, and I'd known her since uh, she was at university in the UK. Um, and it would be, to some extent, a stretch to say that, that um, uh, as it were, we were close friends. I mean, we were friends because of other people. Um, and I had a lot of opportunity to um, uh, go to the United States, um, but I didn't have much time with him. I suppose I saw him once or twice a year, perhaps maybe maximum of three times a year. It's hard to watch, right, Roberta? Yeah. <laughs> it's like seeing him stumble through that is just brutal. I always think when we when we see these clips from that interview that he walked away thinking he did really well and that he like I know. protected himself against. There's like an arrogance there this. for sure. Well, of course, you know, the big thing with this document drop is that it has renewed calls in the UK to reopen the Met Police investigation against Andrew. It is so far unlikely to happen, but I think the reputation the reputational damage with this latest is a lot more severe. I'm seeing so many headlines, you know, that keep kind of overtaking because I don't think there's the typical punching bags like Harry and Meghan that there's not as much news and that kind of thing. And people are doing a much deeper dive. There's a lot more detail to uncover here. I think for him, it doesn't sound like it will be reopened, as I said, but he cannot travel to the U.S. because he could be prosecuted here. This is all not really new information for us, but there's no statute of limitations on sex trafficking in the U.S. Other fallout, the Royal Lodge eviction. This has been a huge headline. Will this kick King Charles into high gear to get him finally out of that house? He is being forced, apparently, to fund his security now and the upkeep costs. And there were also rumors that Kate and William are really angling to move into Royal Lodge ultimately. But Andrew's lease currently goes through 2078. But he he can't afford to keep it up. So Mm. I do think that just Charles has a huge issue continually with Andrew, but what is the right way to manage it? Because there's briefing going on that says, you know, explosively for Andrew that there's no way back in the wake of these documents. But is that also a way to take heat off of Charles for his recent choices to include him in these private family engagements, which we also talked about right in the new year? You know, Mm -hmm. I like this quote from Peter Hunt, is personal yet public loyalty to Andrew okay for the king? Peter said, walking past cameras and royal fans isn't a private family event. And I I like that nuance that Peter Mm. brings up because there's a difference between opening gifts privately at Balmoral and going inside to a church service behind closed doors. But then if you're doing that sort of not step and repeat, but kind of step and repeat moment where you're greeting royal watchers, is that private? Not really. So yeah, they're not doing a good job of hiding him. I think that's really they're giving him opportunities. Yeah. yeah, giving him opportunities. And I think that we, I mean, I might be speaking out of turn, but I thought that with the Queen's death and passing, that we wouldn't see as much Andrew because she was really his biggest protector. And, you know, we always heard it was her favorite son. And it's interesting that Charles has kind of stepped into protecting his brother and letting him show up at these big royal outings, even if it is just a walk past fans. I think that there is a way to kind of put some of these like royal headlines to rest if they only didn't let Andrew show up at these big events. Yeah. And I did read some interesting takes here where it is, I wonder for King Charles, if Andrew is also a liability if he's not within sort of range of the palace. Like I wonder the the difficulty in maneuvering mm. this Andrew situation because you know you think about like King Edward the Eighth and sort of the moves he made when he was just totally banished and like is it better for Andrew to have at least some palace council and stay 
in the fold in that way. Is that the choice that Charles is making? But, you know, it's just as these docu drops happen, as more fallout from this, you know, huge trial goes down, it's just like his association is, it's hard to deny, I think. Yeah. But, you know, of course, allegedly is what the palace or legal experts would continue to say. When you always hear that, you know, the monarchy, it is like run like a business. It is a firm. Mm -hmm. And you think about this is sort of a chess game, but also like if you have this unruly employee, you keep them in the fold because otherwise there's no NDA and they can go and file a lawsuit. It's just, it is really interesting. Or get mixed up with the wrong people and do even more damage. You know what I mean? Like, because the association remains. I did sleuth out there's still no release date for Scoop. And you know that will resurface so much more. That Remind movie. me what Scoop is again. Remember the movie? It was supposed to be Hugh Grant. It's not Hugh Grant. They have a, It's fully casted now about the Emily Matlas interview. So I oh feel like gosh. I cannot wait to see that retelling and sort of how it's fictionalized, you know, as we fill the void left by the crown. Yeah. Not to jump back to Kate, but just I wonder how it changes anything about Royal Lodge just with this news, because supposedly she'll be recovering after the two-week hospital stay. She'll be recovering at Adelaide Cottage is what some reporters were briefed this morning. And so that's on the grounds of Windsor, but also very close to, I guess, the big hospital that she wants to be at. And so I know Royal Lodge is much, much bigger than Adelaide Cottage. Would that be more comfortable for her? Like, are they angling... I don't think angling always because of that. You know, who knows? But it's and I don't think it would be a swift move. I think it's just more the long game. Is that it sounds like from the tabloids? I mean, and how does this this change all that? Yes, yes, exactly. It sounds like they'd like to be in that in that space in the future. All right, moving on. A quick mention about Queen Camilla's new podcast. Yes, ending on a lighter note. (laughs) Yeah, a lighter note. And also the Royal Warrants, an update about Royal Warrants. So first off, the Queen's Reading Room podcast kicked off with its first two episodes. They're out now. Dame Joanna Lumley joined, also crime writer Sir Ian Rankin. My first impression, it's just delightful to hear from these authors about their favorite books, how they find time to read, how they were inspired. It's I so like the interesting. Format. Yeah, the it's format really is really interesting. Fun. It might be a tad bit boring, especially if you don't read these authors. I have, haven't read anything by Sir Ian Rankin, although I really want to now. But it Me was, too. He was a delightful. little dry. And there's no interview questions, which I think is kind of a miss. They cut out the interview questions from the host, who is also the CEO of the reading room. Her name's Vicki Perrin. She's got a lovely talking voice. She's a great podcast listen, and she introduces each episode. But they do... Either like someone else is asking the questions and they just cut that person out or they just cut her out. And so it's just the author talking for a solid 30 minutes, which is really interesting. But there is one question at the end from Camilla for Camilla that she answers. And here's a clip of that. It's which book she likes reading most to grandchildren. In each episode of this podcast, we're going to put a question to the queen about her own reading. This time we asked... Which books did your majesty most enjoy reading to your grandchildren? And did you do different voices for different characters? I think the one I enjoyed reading more than anything else was Harry Potter. All the stories, and I can't mimic voices for love or money. I'm completely hopeless at it. I was a really bad actor at school, and... um, I've never been able to master the art of mimicry, but um, my husband, he does it really. He can do all the voices. I loved that reveal. 
So can Harry. Harry can do voices really well, which you'll find out when you listen to Spare the Audio. Yes, yes, totally. I was surprised at how brief Camilla's appearance in the episode was, right? I was like, oh, that's it. That's it. Okay. But I like it. I like that she's dipping in. Yeah. Did you love the Harry Potter shout out? I did. I mean, especially because I read it during the pandemic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly. those who don't know, Rachel is all I caught just, up Because we always talk about Charles's voice and how we could fall asleep and drift off and, and he needs a calm app or whatever they need to get him on that. I can't imagine hearing him do these impersonations. It would be so fun. So fun. You read all seven books during the pandemic, right? For Harry yes, Potter. I just yes. wanted we just need to hold space for that. Yes. Amazing. <laughs> and I loved that our audience was just as thrilled with talking about the Royals as talking about Harry Potter reaching out to me about that. that you journey. and Camilla would get along quite well. <laughs> also, a quick update uh about Royal Warrants. This is really interesting because I didn't really realize they'd have to switch everything over for King Charles's reign. But the update is that Queen Camilla will become a grantor of warrants. The application process is opening this summer. 600 of the 800 current royal warrant holders will need to reapply. And they're all really nervous. They're shaking in their boots, their hunter <laughs> boots, which has royal warrant, because they need to meet new green standards of sustainability. I love so this. I think this is so smart on Charles's part to really get across that he's super, super adamant about sustainability, about the environment. And so royal warrant holders will have to pass these really stringent benchmarks in order to get the King Charles royal warrant. Of course, the Queen Elizabeth royal warrant holders will be able to keep their warrants. And I think if they don't get the King Charles one, they can keep it on their packaging for two years is what it said. But then wow. they have to remove it. So it gives them time to like sort out new packaging and whatever signage but fascinating it's time for the royal highs and lows before we adjourn the royal pod i'll kick us off with my low i was gonna do that mike tyndall has worn out this fascinator joke a little bit when they were in australia but i'm switching it to the princess of wales last minute we're all concerned we're worried and sending well wishes. I feel like it's so lame to be like thoughts and prayers, but really, I mean, truly we are thinking about her and hope for a speedy recovery. Yeah. It's just a big absence. I know I was feeling the same way. I have a separate low, but I feel like that really is kind of the only thing on my mind right now. So I feel like I might just go with that. Yeah. The high though, ending on a high note, as we always do, my high this week is the Danes, just all around. So many people showed up to support the new king and queen. I'm really excited about Queen Mary. You know, amidst all the speculation, who knows the reasoning why or what's going on behind closed doors, I just am really excited for these new young faces to be on the throne. And I think what was interesting was I saw this picture of all the heads of state in all the countries that still have monarchies and it was all men so to have queen mary there too by his side is really a nice um a welcome departure from the, yes, the white males it's really exciting and bravo to the social media people running the show they're doing a great job yes excellent <laughs> job all right my high i feel like we cannot end on anything better but the chick-in update that we received this week that Harry and Meghan have adopted one of Ellen DeGeneres' chickens, Sinky. Apparently, Sinky was getting picked on by others in Ellen's flock and now lives with Harry and Meghan. We had a delightful Instagram moment that Ellen shared where you hear Meghan saying a just a little coup to the to the new chicken joining the pack. And I, you know, I like that sort of dipping in, but we don't see her, but it's just kind of 
you know, we need a chick in feed. Let's get that chick in an Instagram account. A live stream. <laughs> I feel like I care so deeply about that. I don't need any royals and I just love the chick in. I like saying it. Can, how many times did I just say chick in? <laughs> I want to know what the other names are because Sinky's a cute name and um, my friend has chickens and one of them's named Francie. <laughs> I feel like chicken names are really cute for some reason. I feel like chick ins or not, not just having chickens. I can say it normally too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I like the chick people, in. Right? I like the chick in and I also like the idea of having chickens. It seems really cool if you have the space. Yeah. And just being able to get free eggs, right? I don't oh, know. The kids. That's the <laughs> Love it. Just a reminder before we close, please leave us a review. And this new year, we'd love some new reviews. So please leave us five stars. We would so, so appreciate it. We appreciate the love always. And we love reading your comments. Also follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast. Send us a listener email, info at gallerypodcast.com. Is that email address info at gallerypodcast.com. Saying it one more time. And till next week. God save the pod. Her Majesties of Royally Obsessed have retired for this episode. God save the pod. And if you fancy the podcast, give Royally Obsessed the royal rating of five stars on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast and join our Facebook group, Royally Obsessed. Royally Obsessed is a gallery podcast production.